Welcome to the Rise Network Podcast Show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... And Mai, what's going on, everyone? Austin, what have you been up to, man? What have I been up to? Uh, I've been bothering you this past week because uh, I've been interviewing... Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're probably sick and tired of me. But yeah, I've been interviewing different mortgage uh, brokerages, uh, having conversations with principal brokers, setting up calls. So just going through that process right now, there are a couple that I have on the top of my head, but still have some calls to get through. So I know with a lot of people in the investor community, once they get their license, they already have one that they have in mind. Uh, but yeah. I always figure that you don't know what you don't know. And if I'm going to interview, it's probably easier to do it at the beginning of my career than it is midway into my career, right? So um, yeah. just going through those mo- the motions. No, I, I'd, I'd echo that. Moving... Honestly, it's it's a pain in the ass moving your systems, your tools, the data. It's actually kind of interesting when you look into the brokerage model. Technically, the data, like your customer data, is owned by the brokerage, right? So it's it's actually like you need to get them to sign off on you transferring all your customer data to your new brokerage and your new systems and stuff like that. If you can't migrate all that data, it's a pain in the ass. Like oh, I could imagine retention, renewal, stuff like that. So it's, it's actually a really uh, sneaky, interesting game. I imagine it's, very, it's the same on the realtor side as well. I made a post recently. And I was just like, because um, I feel like talking to you about this so many times over the last week just made me think about this more and more. Is just ultimately, we don't really own the business, right? Like we're all just like employees as like mortgage agents or realtors or uh, insurance brokers, or anyone. It's, it's really, you're just an employee of the brokerage. Um, and so you don't really own the business. I guess you could say maybe you own a book of business, right? But it's very much we are the business and stuff like that. So it just made me thinking more and more and more. So we'll see what that all pans out. Yeah, no, totally agreed. Unless you unless you have the ambition to start your own brokerage, right? Then that's or or your own team. Awesome. You're gonna get there, man. You're, you're... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. One step at a time. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, if you guys have any mortgage needs, me and my are your guys now. <laughs> there you go. All right, enough shameless plug. Oh yes, and on another topic, we actually have an event that we're organizing. We wanted to do things a little bit different this time. Prior in our events, there wasn't really any alcoholic beverages. We know how everyone loves to drink, especially when you're in downtown <laughs> Toronto. And especially with the rates at what they are, like the only way that you can survive is drink your pain away. So we are looking at doing it at a bar uh, this time around. And with the tickets that are purchased, uh, link will be down in the show notes below. It will come with the free drink ticket. And of course, you can continue to buy more drinks. I definitely will. Ma, you, you probably will too. Yeah, I'm sober now, man. Are you? I'm trying, man. I'm 30 days. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, you were a pussy, but that's okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, pussy. Anyway, November. No, being sober is good. Being sober is good, folks. I don't want anyone to cancel me. <laughs> uh, November 30th is the event date. 6.30 p.m. is when the doors open. It goes up until 10 p.m. Again, location to be determined, but down in the show notes below. I feel like my entire segment has been selling people on something. So. <laughs> you take it away. Um, what's going on? Let's see. We, uh, last weekend, I uh, went and looked at two properties in the GTA. I'm not going to say where because you don't want competition. Yeah. I'm not trying to get competition. 
Yeah. Uh, my, my realtor actually posted a story about one of the offers that we made. I was like, dude, take that shit down right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to be, be <laughs> So we, we made two, two offers right now in, in the GTA. Um, to summarize everything, it's interesting times, man. You're able to structure deals. Um, someone called me. I told you also briefly about it. I'm so waiting on the full details. Um, but I did yep. tell him I had another competing interest as well on some other property. So I think he might have gone with someone else. But someone called me basically on a property that you can take over with no money down for down payment on a apartment building. So you really would just have to get in there. You would have to finish paying for the renovations. And then uh, the existing seller would just continue to carry the debt. So you're not actually transferring the property until you're doing the equity takeout on, you're doing basically a refinance on the uh, commercial product. And as part yeah. of that, you would do a title change, right? So you're basically getting into the deal with zero money down other than the renovation costs, which would be required. It was like two to 300K, call it 400 if you really want to be optimistic on basically a three to $3.8 million kind of purchase, right? And then eventually with uh, CMHC, you'd be taking all that money out, right? So it's like a really interesting deal and yeah. it kind of shows how greedy you can be. And I was telling you, Austin, the deal that I made, uh, the offer that I have outstanding right now, it's got uh, about 20% of the VTB. It's got three months to close uh, and it's got two weeks for due diligence, right? Yeah. I'm not wasting anyone's time. Like I genuinely want to go through with this, but it's a little bit more complex of a deal. So I need all that to kind of make it work, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing people, we were kind of talking about this. We have, you know, not different opinions, but there's different kind of sentiment in the market. I am seeing a couple of buyers come back to the market. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just a few of them that have borrowing capacity because they don't have too much. Like inv investor clients or are these like home buyer clients? Uh, no, you're, you're, that's true. They're home buyers, right? So okay. they're okay. looking to buy. One guy lives in Ontario, he's renting, he's looking to move out to Alberta. Another guy, they're not married yet, so they're just looking to pick up a, a primary residence that they might rent out for a few years, eventually move into, right? So those kind of scenarios, you're right. It's not really pure investors that are buying. I would say investors are still kind of a little bit butthurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I would also say like, even with, I don't know how much I can disclose, but they, like the offers that you're negotiating with VTB, they're not multifamily properties. They're single family homes, yeah, right? right? You know, we're going to stop that. <laughs> we're not increasing competition, just in case. I just don't want to. Really? Bro, well, that's a sick deal. I need that shit to close. Okay? All right, all right. I don't want anyone to. Let's buy it. Let's buy it. Let's buy But anyways, no, we can keep that in. But uh, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, yeah, it's not really like duplexes and triplexes that people are buying, but they are buying properties that can be converted to duplex and triplex because I think. The name of the game right now is to stack as many properties as possible, right? Like even if you can get like two or three properties where you can instead buy, I don't know, one, like six bucks, you're better off taking the two or three properties that can be converted down the road into two or three units each, right? Which then- Depending on your liquidity. <laughs> yeah, depending. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I'm assuming yeah. it's like the same amount of capital. Can't remember what the scenario was. Someone was having this conversation with me. It was like, do I put, um, oh, right. That's what it was. Uh, the they had a fourplex and they were doing the renovations on the fourplex and they're like, you know what, maybe we just kind of refinance this, but then we take that, those refinance funds and we put it into adding a basement unit to make this into a legal fiveplex, which would require underpinning and so on and so on. Right. And I was like, yeah, you could do that. Or you could just take that hundred and, uh, I think it was 120 or 130 K or something like that for the budget. and just go out and buy another fourplex or, or some like something of that equivalent. Yeah focus on renovating that other fourplex, turning it around, right? And when the market recovers, when prices are, are, are stupid and you can't buy deals out there, that's when you kind of come back and yeah. you look at your portfolio and go, okay, you know what, maybe I'll work on this fifth unit now, right? So different strategies to each their own, but I think if you guys are out there in a, in a position to stock properties right now, it's uh, not a bad time.
I also think that even in a good market that it always makes when you refi that money out, it just makes more sense to buy another property. It just never makes sense to optimize your portfolio. It's just it, does, it does make money. sense to optimize, but we're talking about under like injecting another 120,000 that you might not be able to pull out again, right? Possible. Uh, yeah. I, I guess it's situational based. But anyways, I made that point about the single family and the VTB because there are probably some sellers that are out there who have single families, uh, home sitting stale, where you could possibly negotiate a VTB, whether that be for your investment property conversion or whether that be for your primary residence, right? Even for my flip in Toronto. So I'm negotiating an extension on the VTB because the market's very slow at the moment. That being said, when we were negotiating with buyers, I offered a VTB, right? For like 10% second in charge. And these are, again, like these are, yeah. So like, and it's possible you're seeing this on your end as well. Yeah. Um, if someone has a property on the market for 60 days, try to throw those out because, <laughs> you know, it might be, it might be not only a good investment strategy, but a good, a good strategy for your primary residence. Um, outside of that, before we get into to the guest at hand, I wanted to mention a little bit about points because that's going to be the topic today. Um, I actually, so I scheduled the business class tickets uh, from my fiance and I on our honeymoon next year. So that's been pretty cool. Going to be our first time doing that. I, I looked at the retail price. It's like $9,000 each one way. So it's, it's pretty we wild. For that. We're going to Taiwan and then we're going to go to Japan and then back over to Toronto. Taiwan? Are you, are you guys, no, you're not from Taiwan. You're from India. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not from India. I'm from Canada, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Um, no, like, well, I can't travel to <laughs> Well, if you tell me, you know, if you tell me that like you're, I'm country. traveling. If you tell me you're traveling Dubai, I'm like, brother, you're from Sri Lanka. Why are you going to Dubai? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't explore the world. Uh, and the other note that I wanted to say is that I'm also you, like leveraging the points. I'm, I, uh, I'm taking my parents to Italy, actually, this Christmas. So I'm booking them eight days to Rome, Florence, Venice. I'm paying for the hotels out of pocket, but the flight is covered through this, this points hacking, right? So my mom's dream was to visit the Vatican, and now she can. And again, like this is possible through points. So not only are we real estate investors, but keep in mind, we get into this to create the lifestyle that we want. And by complementing it with collecting points, you can very much do that. We're going to jump into today's podcast. Anyways, we have Tommy Lung. He's a real estate investor and also an avid traveler and a points collector. He got me into the points game. Actually, he grew his portfolio through multifamily investing in London. And also he's played with different strategies in Toronto, including an executive rental for his primary residence, where he was able to make it cash flow positive. Through points collecting, he was able to travel the world for seven months and spend over $100,000 equivalent, but he was able to save that through using points and using the strategies that we're going to talk about in today's episode. You guys are definitely going to enjoy this one. Share it with a friend. And if you want to hit Tommy up for any advice, his links will be down in the show notes below. Just don't bombard him with messages. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, leave us a five-star rating, and let's jump right on in. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Mr. Tommy Long. Tommy, how's everything going, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to chat about real estate and points. Yeah, this one's going to be a little bit different. Austin uh, attributes Tommy to changing his life, so it's going to be a great episode. <laughs> 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 Tommy, for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't you give everyone kind of a, a rundown on yourself as an investor and kind of what you do as well on the traveling side? Yeah, for sure. So from the investing side, I invest with my partner and we got into investing 
really during the onset of COVID, uh, there's not much to do. Interest rates were super low. And we've always been sort of interested in investing in real estate. We focus primarily in London, Ontario, and we have one property in Edmonton as well, just to diversify our portfolio. And we live in Toronto, Canada. So we're both corporate employees. We have nine to five jobs. That's sort of what we've been doing. And then we sort of invest on the side. And then from a travel standpoint, also we got into it during the COVID. A lot of the credit cards were giving super high reward points and welcome bonuses. So it was a great time to sort of get into the game and accumulate these type of points. I didn't really have a strategy at that point, but we've been able to use a lot of these points that we've accumulated and take a seven month trip across 18 different countries across five continents. So they really helped us save a lot of money on points and get these aspirational experiences that we truly never thought we would be able to experience. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to break down from this episode here. But part of the reason why we bought Tommy on is because I think he's a prime example of not only leveraging real estate to build off your dream lifestyle and, and to increase your wealth, but also to take that and create the life that you want today. Because real estate is ultimately a long-term game. When I got into it as a guy, like I want to get cash flow so I can eventually travel. But you found some sort of strategy to mesh the accumulation of points, investing in real estate, but also being able to travel today. Um, but before we get into that, I think obviously it's a real estate podcast. So let, let's speak a little bit into your first uh, property. What was your introduction to uh, investing in real estate or buying your first property? And could you walk us how that sort of springboarded off to your portfolio from there? Yeah, for sure. I think, so we'll go back to the beginning. Um, so the first property that we ever purchased was a condo in Toronto back in 2017. And at that time, as a new person buying a property, uh, we're only interested in a principal residence or buying it for ourselves. It ended up being a house hack. We we're able to land a pre-construction. So there's a lot of learnings up front really quickly in navigating a very competitive Toronto market. That was sort of our first foyer into the market and learning about how to buy a condo on assignment to house hacking this condo. So there was a lot of little events that sort of led up to that. We were going to a lot of showings and we heard other people that are interested in during open houses about asking agents, oh, can we Airbnb this property? And that's sort of where we first initially started. We ended up picking up a three bedroom condo in Toronto and then we rented out one room and Airbnb the other. And the first week we rented out the condo, uh, it was during TIFF. So we're able to get a movie producer in and the rents were insane. I think it was like $200 per room, a night per Holy the room. Crap. It's a beautiful room, see entire views, but it's a shared space. So it's not really entire space. So it's funny enough that he booked it, he took a shot. We never had any reviews and it was all good from there. But as you know, condos in Toronto have a lot of regulations. We got caught and that sort of ended that, I guess, brief stint we had with Airbnb back in 2017. So that's how we started with our first property. And then we, we sold that condo at right before lockdowns happened. So we we're very fortunate to sort of time the top of that market. Wasn't intentional. It was purely coincidental because ultimately we wanted to be able to purchase a property in Toronto, a single family home. I think something everyone aspires to do in Toronto. 
we sort of use the condo as our learning mechanism to acquire that in, in Toronto. Okay. Using the proceeds from that sale, we're also able to invest in other properties. I think our initial thought process was maybe we'll get multifamily in Toronto and be able to house hack and have more control of the property because it's not a condo. But eventually we, we ended up just getting a duplex in Toronto, renting out the basement. So a little bit of a house hack and sort of going into, I guess, the Burr method in London and Edmonton. And you guys have a lot of guests that speak about the Burr process, so probably won't need to go into that. But it's a great mechanism to gain a lot of points because as you guys know, and I'm sure the audience would know, is we pay a lot for renovations of increasing a unit's value. And a lot of that spend can be used using credit cards. So whenever you're buying materials, flooring, drywall, uh, any construction materials, you can accumulate a lot of spend on credit cards. And a lot of welcome bonuses and points are predicated to you spending money using these credit cards. So during the pandemic, getting all these Amex cards, we're able to use these renovations that we've had to really rack up a ton of welcome bonus and points for our travels. Yeah, I think that was a lot to, to kind of break down because you, you said you just went through your entire life story there. But, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, one thing I, I think you started off with the house hack up in Toronto, which I think is pretty unorthodox, not the normal route that people go, right? You're just targeting the type of, of property you're buying, buying a three bedroom Airbnb, you know, is it not allowed anymore? Can you not, I feel like you can still Airbnb out rooms in your primary residence. Is that not the case in Toronto? It was due to the condo board. So I think I it's specific to your condo. Uh, some condos like the ICE condos are doors wide open to Airbnb. So it really depends on, I guess, who's living in the condo, which condo you bought. Because the condo we were at was half hotel, half condo, they obviously were against Airbnb the entire time. So we're sort of doing it under the guise of You're stealing uh, the renting it. Yeah, we're kind of stealing <laughs> their clientele, right? And also there's additional regulations that have now come into place in Toronto with having to actually live in the property as a primary residence. So there's more and more regulations as Airbnb yeah. becomes a, a more and more popular thing. But back then there wasn't any regulation like that. So, so on that topic, a lot of people have that misconception that if you're buying a condo in Toronto or condo anywhere that you can't really house hack, right? And I just an important point to, to bring up is you can really house hack any sort of property. If you live in a bedroom, you can add a bunk bed and really house hack that too if you want. But ultimately, it depends on your comfort level and your privacy. Some people are more willing to trade out privacy. For me, I'm totally game with it. But my fiance, not okay with it. And so, and so it's, it's, it's all, it all comes down to your comfort level, right? Uh, the more that you want to maximize how much revenue you have, Again, like the less privacy you're going to have with that. I'm just trying to think in today's world, uh, I guess Airbnb would probably still be more lucrative because it break even on a room, like a room rental might only get you a thousand bucks. But like you said, if you just target those prime weekends, then like every month has a prime weekend almost because there's like some sort of holiday or something going on, right? Uh, So even if you just target those prime weekends, you could for the most part earn at least like 60 or 70% of what you would on a normal room rental. By going on Airbnb, it's just the ability to do Airbnb within that condo, I guess, is the main limiting factor, right? But that's interesting. So from there, you guys, uh, 2017 was a decent time for condos. I don't think it was like, it, it, was, it was decent. You guys probably made a decent lift on that by selling it in 2020. 
Um, and yep. then I think 2017 was actually the run up in condos. It was right. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the run up when it went insane because of the, uh, that was pre-stress test, right? No, and also it was when they had the foreign. I think the the foreign ban and that hit the it hit the uh, detached or freehold market much heavier, and then you just started seeing condos run up. Yeah. Yeah, it was very competitive, weird time to be in the, the market for sure. And so my partner and I were originally going to buy a one bedroom plus den for 450 in downtown Toronto. And the prices really quickly ran up to 550. And now obviously they're 600s for a one bedroom. So it was very competitive time, which led us down the path of looking at pre-construction and assignment properties to That's acquire. Right. That's it, right? And so you guys closed that in 2017 though, right? The, the purchase? Yeah. yeah. You bought a pre-con after or you bought or you sold it? No, uh, that condo was a pre-construction. So we bought an assignment to acquire that ah, pre-con. And okay. it happened to close like three months after we bought it. Mm -hmm. So maybe that person had difficulty of closing on the property. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when you get sold in 2020, I mean, you don't have to tell us an exact number, but did you make a decent amount of money? Is that how you funded the Toronto purchase, the second purchase or? Yeah, that's right. I think being invested over those years, it definitely was a big lift given where interest rates were at for low for so long. And, and Toronto had a really good time during that period. Dang. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you ended up trading to a multifamily in, I'm not going to say where, but somewhere in downtown Toronto, right? So pretty, yeah. pretty core area there. I want to jump into the points because I, I think that's probably going to be sort of the most interesting topic here. Because There's not really many real estate investors who are leveraging points to be able to travel. So first and foremost, for those who don't know what points are in general, can you explain it on a high level? For example, Mayu probably, I'm, I'm trying to remember Mayu, you only do cashback or you don't really, you don't even care or know anything about points. So for someone who has, let's say, zero knowledge on it, can you explain the game from a high level? Yeah, absolutely. So credit cards have different incentive programs for their customers and points are simply loyalty programs or different airlines or credit card programs. So think of your Visa cards, MasterCards or American Express cards. They all have these loyalty points where you can use these points to redeem for travel or accommodation. And to earn these points, there are different methods of earning these points. You could sign up for a new credit card and get a certain amount of points for simply signing up and getting approval. And there's welcome bonuses for meeting certain amount of spending with that credit card. Because if you think of the credit card business model, they make money on every transaction you make and they charge the retailer a percentage of each transaction. So it's sort of a cashback mechanism for the consumer to build up these loyalties with certain brands and it gives you an incentive to participate in their program. Mm -hmm. I guess the tricky part for a lot of people though is you got to A, manage multiple cards. That That's correct, right? Yep. You got to B, have a running balance on a lot of these cards or at least spend a certain amount of money, right? Mm -hmm. and then C, you got to make sure you cancel these cards before you get hit with the annual renewal fees, right? So is there a trick or a method to the madness that is kind of helps to keep it organized or like, I guess, how do you go about this? Oh yeah, for sure. Organization is a huge thing because obviously your credit cards will charge you an annual fee and some credit cards charge quite a lot. If you think of the American Express Platinum card, that's about $6.99. So you don't want to be paying that every year. 
And a lot of the benefit is really getting that welcome bonus on in the initial year. So we do it manually through a spreadsheet on Google Docs. A lot of people have different methods, but we have an accounting and finance background, so we're very familiar with Excel and that's the best way for us to track it and we're familiar with it. I have heard of apps that do help you track it, like these digital wallets that you sort of link your accounts with, but we haven't had too much experience with that. Uh, so we can't really speak to that, but managing and keeping track of credit card spending and your limits is highly important. I guess one tip that we always like to share and, and do ourselves is enable auto payments for your credit cards. Every single credit card has this feature. How you do it is it'll vary depending on the bank or financial institution, but essentially just let it auto draw from your bank balance to pay off the credit card. So you don't have to really keep track of when you have to pay. Because ultimately, if you can manage this multiple credit cards, you can definitely improve your credit card, credit score, sorry. I think that's a big misconception of a lot of people have is if I have multiple credit cards, it's going to hurt my credit score and I won't be able to get a mortgage by my principal residence. I think that's a pretty big fear that some people might have. But if you're able to pay off your balances in full and show the banks that you're able to manage credit properly, it actually helps your credit score. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an important point there. I remember when I was doing it, um, I found that when I applied to all of these cards, my credit score got dinged temporarily. It was just for like two months or something like that. And then after that, it quickly recovered again as my spending habits uh, on those credit cards, paying it down, utilizing credit utilization properly. So all of those things ultimately really helped my credit. Taking a step back with that. So as someone who's looking to, let's say they, they bought an investment property, they want to get in the points game. What cards do you recommend to them? Like what are the most popular cards and could you explain like why they're beneficial? Yeah, for sure. So I guess one Loyalty program I'd like to highlight for Canadians specifically is definitely going to be the Aeroplan program because Air Canada is part of a global alliance of different airlines called Star Alliance. And because you're in Canada, Air Canada is one of the major airlines that we have readily available. If you are, don't already collect those type of points, you highly recommend you start earning those points. But in terms of a good credit card to start, American Express tends to be the one with the most amount of flexibility because some credit card points allow you to transfer to different programs that they have relationships to. So for example, if you collect American Express points, you can transfer it to Aeroplan points. You can transfer it to a program called British Avios, which is another, as part of the One World Alliance, which is another alliance of, of different airlines. And just by those two programs and having the flexibility of American Express, it makes it a very attractive platform to start growing your credit card balances. Another good thing about Amex is their generous welcome bonuses. So yeah, how bonuses work is you sign up for a credit card. You don't get any points for signing up sometimes, but you do get a certain amount of points as an incentive after spending a certain amount. So for example, American Express Platinum, they typically on the high end, sometimes offer 120,000 points after spending $5,000, for example. These welcome bonuses will vary from time to time during the year. So there's definitely good times to apply for credit cards and some less optimal times. Mm -hmm. But because you're 
investing in real estate, you're doing renovations and you have high material costs. If you think about just renovating one unit, uh, you're spending 20,000, for example, if half of it is for materials, half for labor, you can get $10,000 worth of spend just by renovating one unit. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to start accumulating these credit cards if you go through multiple American Express cards, which is sort of what we did unknowingly and not really having a strategy to it, but just trying to check off as many welcome bonuses as we can back in 2020 and 2021 when we started renovating our properties. Now, what is 120,000 points? Because I, I think it's good to add perspective on what you could do with that, right? Because that's not a small yeah. sum. And if you're using a regular AeroPlan card, $1 equals one AeroPlan point. In a lot of cases, you have to spend $100,000 Canadian to achieve that. But you're saying that if you spend whatever, five, six, seven thousand, I'm not sure what the platinum is now, within three, four, five months, whatever the rules are there, you can get the bonus points of, 80, 90, 100,000, depending on what time of year it is. Like, put that in perspective. Like, what can you do with that? Yeah, for sure. I think collecting points is one part, but redeeming it is another. So to give you guys a perspective of how much these points could be potentially worth, some, I'll give you an example of flight that you can maybe expect uh, to redeem. So for example, you want to fly to Europe for a summer vacation, a flight from Toronto to or typical European destinations like London, Paris, or Rome could run you between 60,000 to 80,000 aeroplan points. And then for Amex points is one-to-one for business class flight. So these business class flights from a cash value are one way are at least 3,000 to 5,000, depending on how far and the time of year you're going, uh, if it's higher or low season. But you can see really quickly how much these points can add up and if you were to put a monetary value on a dollar, one point, a lot of people say it's two cents per point if you want to do that conversion. But a lot of rewards, if you're able to get a good deal on the redemption, uh, which is the hard part, you can get much higher value from a dollar standpoint for the number of points you're using. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I guess the, the issue with the business class points and stuff like that, because isn't the issue essentially redeeming it for actual flight? that our business class flight becomes a little bit of a challenge, right? Like actually getting the flight itself, like inventory yeah. that's available on points. Yeah. So recently it's been much more challenging, I would have to say. I think this year has been interesting for the travel industry as a whole. The world really just started opening up earlier this year. year, late last year. So there's a lot of people coming back out of the woodworks with extra savings, excess savings to go travel. Uh, they haven't really left the country for a while and there was a lot of pent up demand. So this year, definitely quite challenging to find award availability. And I think that's 50% of the battle, 50% of the battles collecting points, but percent of the battle is sort of knowing what to redeem and sort of how to redeem. Um, not every single business class is the same. Uh, I think when you don't really know about business products, you're unaware that some business class are simply a bigger economy class seat where you can't really lie down and sleep. There is a type of product in business called a lie flat where the seat will fold into a bed and you should be able to get more rest and have an elevated experience through that and more comfort before arriving to your final destination. So 
not every business class is the same. And there's a lot of different, I guess, websites or YouTube reviews that you can look at to uh, sort of figure out what business class product you want to try out. Mm -hmm. I mean, what it sounds like, you can really dig deep into the game and you can sure just have when I had I met, I met up with you last week and there were things that we're talking about that sort of I was like, oh, OK, like this seems like a lot of work. I don't know if I can invest that much into it. But for like general real estate investors, one of the cool tips that I, that you talked about briefly here is, is like getting getting the multiple credit cards right now. Let's make it clear. You can't get the credit card, get the points and cancel it right away. Right. There are probably some risk or some things to, to be aware of. And that was one of the things like we were talking. I just got like a too many credit cards all at once, which was definitely a little bit of a risk. Would you be able to share what are some common things that people do that you should avoid when when getting into this game? Yeah, for sure. So I think one thing you touched upon is sort of the number of credit cards and I guess the speed of which you acquire new credit cards. So in order to sort of maintain a more balanced credit profile with the banks and to maintain a strong credit score, you don't want to be applying to five cards all within the span of a week, for example, especially when you're building out a new relationship with the financial institution that you haven't had in the past. So for example, if you're getting your first Amex card, you sort of want to space it out between one or two months for each. And also it's much more manageable to hit these minimum spends when you do space it out rather than slamming on the applications and getting multiple at the same time. That may be adverse to your credit score. Another thing is not canceling it as soon as you get your welcome bonus. You don't want to tarnish your relationships with these institutions either. Welcome bonuses are an incentive to sort of build loyalty and to create a consumer habit and reliance on the credit cards rather than for you to get one time and then move on. So it, it's frowned upon if you just get the welcome bonus and cancel it. You can keep a card for the entire year before you're charge another annual fee. And a lot of credit cards will provide incentives throughout the year to maintain the credit card. Amex has a lot of offers throughout the year that gives you cash back when you spend on certain retailers. And those can help add up and offset some of the annual fees that come with the card. So definitely do not advise getting a card, getting the welcome bonus and canceling. Keep the card for a year. You have the whole year. You paid for the whole annual fee upfront for the entire year. That way it doesn't really hurt your credit score. And then look at different ways that the credit card justifies its value each year. So for example, Marriott Bonvoy is a hotel loyalty program that has a huge number of chains within its umbrella. And it has a credit card with American Express. And after the first year of holding this credit card, you get a free night. So if you think of how expensive hotels are, one free night cover the cost of the entire year's annual fee. So these are little incentives that you also have to be cognizant of when deciding whether to keep a card or cancel a card. Tommy, I'm curious, how many cards do you actually like keep? And I guess how many cards do you keep and how many cards do you use on an ongoing basis? Yeah, so we had, at one point, I had all the American Express personal cards. So the Platinum, the Gold, Cobalt, Marriott, Envoy, and then as well as the business side, so American Express has a business side of the exact same card. So the platinum gold. So I had all those at, at one time. Yeah, that's a lot. 
<laughs> and That's why I, you needed really... that Excel sheet. Yes, yeah, so you have <laughs> to really shit. be organized for that. Yeah. We had a lot of renovations going on at, at that one year, so it was pretty easy to sort of maintain all of them. Now that we're back and we're slowing down our renovations, we definitely scaled back on some of the cards, but this game keeps going because once you're done all the Canadian credit cards, you can do it for US credit cards, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother can of worms there. And it's the same thing, you're incentivized with the welcome bonuses. So right now we're just starting the US game. There's more flexibility there if you want to. But I think like just having Canadian credit cards and you're working a nine to five, you don't have that much vacation anyways. It, it definitely helps elevate at least one of your trips that you make per yep. year. If that means you get to experience business class rather than flying economy to your destination, I think, I don't think people understand how good business class is until you've actually experienced it. Because I've never flown business before until this year, or sorry, early, late last year when we went on our seven month trip. And I always thought about flying was from getting destination A to destination B. Yeah. But once you have that experience of going through business class, feeling refreshed when you get to your destination and then the elevated dining experience as well as drinking, it makes the whole flight part of your experience when going to travel. Like once you go business, you can't really go back. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. it's like a lifestyle inflation. Unless you have to pay for it. Unless you have to pay for it. <laughs> Yeah, and the one, <laughs> yeah. business class is like five Gs one way. We went to Athens this uh, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, and um, we I didn't realize how much points I had racked up in the background, so it was just kind of like it was just there. I have an Amex Gold, didn't really think about it, and I guess there's enough points. I guess somewhere along the way, I already converted all my points to airplane points, so I thought I only had fifty thousand, but when I logged into my airplane, there was another like hundred forty eight thousand just kind of like sitting there. So then we ended up booking the business class flight tickets to Athens. Fuck, that shit was game changer. You landed, we landed <laughs> in Athens, like fully, like perfectly like alert. You know, normally you land and you're like, fuck, I can't wait to like go to like my hotel and just lie down in bed or whatever, right? But that's pretty sick, man. So, so tell me like the seven month trip, tell me about that. Like, how do you guys continue to run your business? Did you invest? Did you flip while you were traveling? Tell me kind of how that works for people that own rental properties that might want to do the same thing. What kind of systems you guys put in place to kind of enable you to do that? It's kind of a good transition to that story. Yeah, for sure. So definitely bringing on property managers was a game changer for us in terms of system in place. Prior to planning this trip, we were managing properties on our own and sort of interacting with tenants and dealing with issues on the side. So we hired some property managers for our properties and that sort of helped us alleviate the responsibility of being responsive to tenants and quickly addressing issues because we weren't sure of where our cell phone coverage would be depending on what place we're traveling to. Some of the places didn't have good coverage and the time zones were completely different. We weren't 12 hour difference for most of our trip. So it would have been really challenging to manage without property managers. I think that's the biggest thing that makes real estate more passive as it can be. We all know that real estate isn't fully passive, but it definitely helps with the media issues and having to manage. During the trip, we had some vacancies, which obviously we wouldn't have been able to fill if we didn't have property managers in place. So definitely that was the biggest that we would call out and for anyone that, that wants to do this. And uh, your primary resident, let's talk a little bit about that because you have a mortgage in Toronto 
that I'm sure you don't just sit vacant for seven months because that's the that's a big spend coming out there. How did you handle that situation or did you just end up leaving it vacant for that long? Yeah, for sure. So for our primary residents, we ended up doing an executive rental. So it's a medium term rental, less than a year. It was actually perfect for the amount of time that we're traveling so that it coincided with when we came back to Toronto. It was listed on the MLS. So we're able to get a tenant through the MLS and exactly line up. We rented it fully furnished with our own existing furniture. So I think that's the great thing about real estate is once you're comfortable with being able to rent to tenants and having that prior experience, you are more comfortable leaving your your property, your principal residence to the hands of a tenant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a challenge and, and hard, harder to overcome, I guess, if you never had that experience of thinking someone is living in your primary residence. I know some people wouldn't like that and probably would opt not to rent it out. But uh, because we rented it out, it was cash flow positive for the property as a whole since we already rented the basement unit out and we're on a fixed mortgage. So that definitely helped supplement some of the costs that we had while traveling because obviously we weren't working during this time and it helps up the real estate part helps supplement some of the trip costs. How much were you renting that unit for? And uh, I know that when we talked offline, you were considering an Airbnb short-term rental, but you've decided against that. Could you walk us through sort of the logic between both of that? Because I guess when people take longer trips, they have to prepare for all of these things. Unless they're comfortable leaving it vacant, then sure. But I know I wouldn't be. I I would want to have some sort of money coming in. So yeah, why executive over short-term? And uh, how much were you able to ultimately get from that unit there? Yeah, I think I'll answer the question about Airbnb versus short-term executive or medium-term executive rental. The biggest thing was determining who would manage the Airbnb while we're gone. I think when we thought about it, because this is our own furniture and we didn't want the amount of wear and tear that comes with Airbnb on our property. And that also, as well as the management part of it, it'd be a lot more hands-on. Although you would get, you would expect a higher rate of return. We didn't really see it justifiable based on the amount of management that potentially was there and the amount of downs risks that, that could occur yep. for a short-term rental. And when we looked at the numbers, we ended up renting it for $5,000. It was like $4,999 um, for, for the short-term, just for the unit where we live. Oh, wow. Toronto duplex. Yeah, holy crap. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I think the biggest thing is there's a, Toronto is such a big city. There's a lot of people that are moving here or trying to figure out where they want to go. We happened to find some good tenants that were coming here from Ukraine um, that were sort of figuring out their life here before settling down. I want to dig into that a little bit more. So how did you go about finding these? Because, um, okay, A, five grand a month is not an insignificant amount of money. That is- no. You got to be two people earning at least like a hundred grand to be able to justify like sixty k a year in rent, right? Be like how did like how did you yeah so how did you go finding these individuals? What's the tenant profiles that you saw? Because I'm assuming while you rented these individuals from Ukraine, you probably saw a couple groups of individuals, right? First, and then see, did you have any issues when you wanted to eventually get them out? Yeah, for sure. So we didn't specifically target Ukraine because of that situation. Um, it just happened that there were applicants from that region and. 
in terms of how we listed it on the MLS, so it was for rent on the MLS, so all the agents and trip can see. I think when you're doing a furnished rental, you get a bump up in the amount of rents that you can charge as well. And especially when it's short term too, when it's non-traditional, non-one year, and we're able to provide a little bit more flexibility on sort of the timing they wanted. Those two things help bump up the amount that we're able to ultimately charge. And in terms of tenant quality in Toronto, I think when you're used to investing in London or sort of the tertiary cities outside of Toronto or the GTA, tenant quality in Toronto is AAA at the end of the day, especially at those price points. You have a lot of tech workers. The people that we ended up renting to was working in tech sales and it was a stay-at-home mom. So they're sort of figuring out they already had employment here because they were able to transfer to the office here and tenant quality was really good. The people took care of our property very well as expected. So I think Toronto has that biggest competitive advantage, especially when you want to rent. Yeah. What what are the normal rents? Because you you rented it for 5,000. So if it wasn't furnished, if it wasn't medium term, what would you be able to get? Because I'm I'm trying to gauge, is this like a viable strategy in Toronto? Uh, or I guess specifically downtown Toronto, I think that makes a big difference as well. Is it a viable strategy for people that even just don't want to have long-term tenants, right? Like, can you just pe- bring people in six months at a time or like, what's the difference between market rent and the rent that you got? I want to make one quick point. Keep in mind, Tommy's right by the subway line, like right by a subway line. So that probably played a factor, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you yeah, answer. Is Tommy, yeah. is Tommy yeah. living in a, is he living in a mansion and he's just super humble? No. Like, a, like a 10 out of 10 place? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Just the semi in Toronto on the Bloor subway line. So that definitely helps with the transit as well. In terms of what it would probably rent for, probably looking at 4,000, I would say. Generally, the... I think it's very convenient for any tenant. There's quite a few tenants in this pocket of uh, Toronto as well. So yeah, being close to a transit hub definitely helps with the price. And it's slightly bigger than a condo. So I think that also plays a factor. So now, I mean, it's pretty interesting to hear your thought process as you prepare for that trip and making sure that, you know, a lot of this decisions are going to be based on having the least amount of headaches so you can enjoy that seven month trip with your partner. I'm not sure if you're comfortable sharing how many points you've accumulated. You could give a range and maybe share some of the redemptions that you guys took advantage of, right? Because in general, investors are cheap. I'm definitely very cheap and I wouldn't ever see myself do business class unless I was to do it through points. I wouldn't ever see myself go to like five-star hotels unless I was able to do it through points, right? And points, again, it's, it's it's spend that we're spending anyways on renovation, yep. so we might as well accumulate it. So how much were you able to accumulate throughout all of those renovations? Because I know you were doing a ton of multi-renos during that time. And what were you able to redeem it on that you feel like are experiences you would have never otherwise had in your entire life? Yeah, for sure. So I guess I wouldn't say all the points were accumulated in this one period of investing in real estate. We always had credit cards that were tied to these loyalty programs. We just never redeemed anything. So similarly to Mayu, I've been before this, I was just collecting without any strategy or optimization and accumulated, I think it was like 400 to 500 K aeroplan points over since graduating. So it was like seven years. And I don't know exactly how much was earned during the period of, I guess, us doing the burrs. 
and whatnot, but I can speak to sort of how much points we ended up using during our trip. So we used 1.7 million points between both Elaine and I. So it might sound like a crazy amount of numbers, but if you think of both people getting, let's say five credit cards each, that's 10 credit cards between the two of us. And then let's say on average, a hundred thousand welcome bonus, that's a million right there. Okay. So you're saying that both of you guys did the exact same strategy concurrently. Correct. Yes. Okay. So So everything you got, uh, your partner got doubled it up. Okay. Yes. And you got the referral bonuses too. (laughs) Yes. And some referral bonuses, but we ended up using 1.7 million points on our trip. And I guess what that equates to in terms of flight. So we were able to redeem for one first class flight, 13 business class flights, and some of our economy flights, which included 11 flights. But a lot of the economy flights, we opted to just pay in cash because they're mostly regional flights. We're also able to redeem for some aspirational hotel stays. So we stayed at the Ritz-Carlton Maldives. That was 400,000 points. Um, So if anyone has a... For those who don't know what the Maldives is and how much that costs, like what does that translate to in like dollars if you were to actually go and try to book it? Yeah, for sure. So it's about, it it ranges depending on high or low season, but it's between 2K to 2.5K USD per night. Maldives and Maldives is a a group of islands right off of India, south of India in the Indian Ocean, and it's known for the high end resorts and and pristine beaches. The water there is like incredible. So so hold on. So did you say that was for four hundred thousand points or four nights for a hundred thousand? Uh, five nights for four hundred k. So ten grand for four hundred k. Ten grand USD. Yeah, ten, 10 grand USD. Uh, Thirteen k. Okay. Yeah. That's a fucking lot of points. It is a lot of points. Yeah, it is a lot of points, but um, these are sort of the experiences that I would never purchase that myself for, I guess, monetary. If we had to spend 10K points, it's harder to justify, but being able to use points and take advantage of a transfer bonus that Amex had, we're able to sort of lower the total amount of points that we're using, but goes to show how powerful collecting these points are because you get to experience something you never thought you'd be able to experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And something I saw in your story is you recently took your, your mom out to her first first class uh, flight too, right? Because you had some, some points there as well. And uh, I assume again, like that was when we talked offline, you said like your mom has never been to first class. I don't, my parents have never even been to first class. And I don't even think they've been to premium economy. <laughs> but these are like things that you can do Where's your uh, guys? Zone six, well, I'm sure. <laughs> sorry, what was that? The last zone that they call up to like board the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've been able to do a lot of cool things with your points. And let me ask you this, right? So we've been talking a lot about Amex. Most vendors will not accept Amex. So what do you do instead in that situation? Yeah, the ones that I like in terms of Visa and MasterCard, for Canadians traveling abroad, definitely the HSBC World Elite MasterCard. That one is great because it doesn't charge you the typical 2% on FX conversions. So you swipe in any foreign country charging a different currency, you save 2% right off the bat. Because RBC is doing the acquisition of HSBC, I think that credit card might go away soon, unfortunately. But another one is CIBC and TD's Aeroplan Point cards. 
They have Visa Infinite cards that let you accumulate Aeroplan points. And they're typically pretty generous between 50K to 70K points that you can get for a welcome bonus. And it's like spend 3,000 within three months, which I think just living in Toronto, it's very easy to do that. Spending a thousand a month just on living costs. So those are two of the go-to credit cards. There's also the RBC Avion card. That's pretty good. That one you can transfer to Cathay or to British Avios points if you want. So that's the RBC Avion card. It's a Visa card. So at this point in the podcast, we usually like to ask, I guess, two questions. We've been going for a while on this and it's a good topic. It's relevant for a lot of people. But for anyone that's a, just looking to get started in this space, how do you suggest they go about learning, educating themselves on it? Any tools, resources, even your own page, et cetera. Just, yeah. So the good thing about, I guess, internet and podcasts is because there's so much readily information available. There's a ton of information on point in the Canadian space. Some resources I tend to go to is Prince of Travel, Google Fire. Those are the different, I guess, websites I could refer guests to listen to. There's also a forum called Frugal Flyer. I think I just mentioned that one. Those ones are the, the best resources to go to if you want to learn more. Mm-hmm. There's also a bunch of YouTube channels that if you search up like Air Canada business class flight review, you can easily see all the different business class products out there and you can sort of see it visually. It's hard to explain just on audio, but it, it really takes like a YouTube video to sort of show you the difference between first business and economy flight. Yeah. These are Canadian resources as well, right? Because I know Canada and US has a little bit differences. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the second question we normally ask you guess I'm, I'm, I'm putting slight twists on these questions because uh, of your area of expertise, but what's the goal in the next like three to five years for yourself from a business, travel? Is it a travel business, et cetera? Like just give us a plan. Yeah, for sure. So we have a ton of content that we, we've taken during our trip. I think one thing we want to help the audience and and just help people in general is sort of figure out how to do this for themselves. I think it's definitely not a social norm. Don't see a lot of people taking breaks in Canada from a career, especially if you're in the corporate world. It's more popular in Europe. So we definitely want to sort of share our experience, how we budgeted our itineraries, what we found uh, was useful and how to sort of leverage points and miles to sort of do something like this is something we aspire to continue to help people and sort of showcase what you can get with with points. So uh, we'll continue to do that from the points and travel. We'll continue to travel as well. And from a real estate standpoint, we want to stabilize our properties and, and continue to optimize, build those processes. After a heavy acquisition phase, it's good to get some breathing room and go through an optimization phase. So that's sort of what we're doing on the real estate end. Awesome. Really appreciate you sharing all your tidbits, uh, Tommy, again, from just like a personal point of view, when I was going through the renovations last year, you've been an amazing resource. And I have, uh, I think I have about 500 ish, 500,000 points or so. I use, I used about, I used over a hundred thousand already. Yeah. I mean, I obviously wouldn't have been as interested in that space if it wasn't for you sort of helping me out. I'm hoping other investors can do the same because just put in a little bit of time and you can get a lot out of it, right? Just like with real estate, you put in a little bit of time educating yourself in real estate, then you can grow your net worth through investing in it or, or put in a little bit of time in wholesaling and you can make more money that way. And it's the same thing with points. You educate yourself a bit and then really they could be 
it could change the trajectory of how you live your life, right? Like traveling to Maldives and, and doing cool shit. So if people want to follow your journey, connect with you, how could they best do so? Yes, feel free. I know we were only able to go through, I guess, the high level basics, um, mm-hmm. but feel free to connect with me over our Instagram account. It's uh, born to explore. So born to as in the number two, T-W-O, explore on Instagram. And yeah, feel free to shoot me a DM. Happy to connect to investors. All of the information will be down in the show notes below. And yeah, I mean, this topic can get very in-depth, but hopefully the purpose of it is, is that when you guys listen to this, you'll be more interested in jumping into the points game there. And also make sure to hit Tommy up if you have any questions in regards to it, but just make sure to use his referral code as well if you're going to do that uh-huh. <laughs> so that he's getting something out of it too. That's sort of what we did too. When I was asking you all these questions, I started using all your referral code. Anyways, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with a friend. Give us a five-star review. Leave us a comment. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.